Hello there. My name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. When it comes to small boat fishing, Lancashire has a long and very rich tradition, not only in terms of the numbers participating, but also in the development of the whole concept of modern open beach launching, and as importantly, the development of trail fishing boats themselves. Back in the early 1980s, Freckleton Bay Sea Hog Boats initiated the mainstream break from slow plodding displacement hulls to faster, more modern designs, followed in more recent times by the internationally renowned Leyland-based Warrior Boats. Having the right boat builders on your doorstep does more certainly help. But the quality of the fishing also needs to be good, and here again, the county blazed the trail in dinghy fishing for big inshore cod from shallow coloured water during its well-documented jumbo era from around the mid-1970s through to the mid-1980s. Tow, place, bass, smooth hounds, we also had them all up here in the northwest. But unfortunately what we don't have are good facilities in the form of quality slips, usable marinas and more importantly, shelter for those days when the prevailing west to southwesterly wind is battering the file coast. Conditions on the beach itself can also be difficult, with loose shingle, boggy gullies and soft banks. So life can also be frustratingly tough as a small boat from the northwest, where you very quickly learn a whole range of skills with respect to working on unpredictable and at times unforgiving beaches, not to mention boat handling in tricky conditions too. Certainly no place for the faint-hearted, nor anything other than the best boats, competent sailors and most reliable and rugged four-wheel drive vehicles. This is agricultural vehicle country, and with that in mind, the county has long enjoyed an equally strong tradition of tractor launching small boat clubs over the past 40 years and more. The file coast alone is home to three such clubs at differing locations throughout Cleveland and Blackpool, and over the years, for various reasons, I have been a member of all three, an achievement eclipsed only by George Hemsworth, who was actually instrumental in setting up all three. Though currently a member of the Cleveland's based Wireboat Angling Club, your broader input here is obviously crucial. So before we progress into the history of the individual clubs themselves, I'd like you to take us back to a time when none of them existed. A time of 12-foot open dinghies and seagull outboards operated by a few pioneering small boat anglers struggling along and left completely to their own devices on all fronts. You've got all the details when it started. Now it's 1969, the Rakes pub... It started at Mr. What was his name? Barry Cartledge. He uh, put a section in the e- in the evening paper. Bob Gledel edited it. Twenty six people met at the pub and uh, decided to form a club, which was named the Fireball Angling Club. There was a lot, a lot of work done by a lot of members of the original twenty six. The chairman was Mr Hudson, who did quite a bit of work, he had a Land Rover. He was my mate's father-in-law, and he used a Land Rover to start launching boats. It wasn't a success because, obviously, a Land Rover doesn't, not as good as a tractor, put it that way. Everybody ended up pushing the Land Rover off as well as a boat. There were no VHF radios, there were no mobile phones, and nobody had done anything like we were trying to do. We had a match every weekend on a Sunday and it grew and grew and grew over the years. Various people put a lot of work in. We had no tractors, no premises, 
no money, no nothing. It was a group of people getting together, mainly for safety and help each other as much as you can. Like I've said before, uh, there were no radios, no mobile phones. Only way of contacting each other was by flares or by the international flag they used to call it. And if you're in difficulties, you wave this flag and hopefully somebody come and help you out. It grew and grew so quick. It reached, I think, 180 members uh, before it started coming down again. Paving the way for this and future clubs in the area presumably would have been the move towards agricultural tractors. The tractors, well, there's another gentleman there. There was Tommy Rawcliffe who uh, had a lot of dealing with farmers and he managed to get a, a tractor for us to try, a petrol and diesel tractor it was. It worked very well, except we'd nowhere to keep it. We had to keep it at a hotel further down the promenade and then bring it every time we wanted to go fishing to the slip so we could go out. That proved a success and we moved from there to getting uh, two tractors, but we had no premises, so we were looking and we came across the underground at the where the Firebolt Angling Club is now. It was absolutely <laughs> terrible. It was full of mud, muck, Everything wanted doing. The council really let us have it, but uh, it needed a lot, a lot of work, and a lot of people put a lot of work in. I've named the people I can remember, and I'm sorry if I can't remember anymore because they did put a lot of work in. And uh, later on, it was done up to take 50 bolts, so they could leave them there and pay to the club a fee, which paid for the uh, use of the underground to the council. It flooded every time there was a big tide that came over. So there used to be two ways into the underground. One way was too near the sea wall and every time there was a big tide it came gushing down the slope and filling the underground. So we had to concrete that off. There were no electricity down there. We had to get electricity supply to it. There was no water supply down there. Eventually everything was done, most of it done by members but only a small group of members, as it always is. Though we're talking about the Fileboat Angling Club here, being the first, this degree of effort, involvement and planning was fundamental to what was to come with the other clubs too, who would later learn much from both the success and the failures of the FBAC. Yeah, the thing was that the Fileboat Angling Club was the only fishing club on this coast, and uh, it grew, 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 till they had to shut the door and say no more. And unfortunately, a lot of people couldn't join. They were on a waiting list for years. I tried to persuade the uh, committee, of which I was one at that time, to uh, open another section to the club. We had money in the bank by this time, and I thought we could help somebody or help a group of members to, for another section of the Fileboat Angling Club. But I was turned down at committee level, and I had to go my own way, which was starting to form either a club at uh, further down or a club further south. There were two premises, one at Arrowside for the South Shore. I were in negotiations with the Blackpool Council over that and terms and conditions. And I was also in, uh, trying to get premises why Borough Council a disused underground bathing station. And I was negotiating with both councils and uh, Frank B came in, Bob Gleddle came in. We had the meetings at the Durban Hotel. Alan, the landlord, was very helpful. Bob Gleddle was very helpful. 
there were so many people, so, so helpful and putting many, many, many hours in. We had no tractors again, we had no money, we had, we had no members. We had to have an inaugural meeting to get members in and we had to have, in my estimation, at least 70 before we could go ahead to buy tractors. We needed more money to buy the tractors, so we uh, went in front of the sports council for a loan. They wouldn't give us a grant, but they considered us for a loan. Uh, Mike Jap, I think he was, who was a councillor, helped us with this, and Bob Gleddle helped us with this. And finally we did get a loan, but the committee had to stand as guarantors to this loan, uh, so that we could buy tractors with the subs that we'd taken off new members joining and uh, we ended up with two tractors and uh, that was called the Wire Bolt Angling Club. So how did the other side of the inaugural work go which would ultimately lead to establishing the Squires Gate Club now called Blackpool Boat Angling Club? Like I said I was negotiating with Blackpool Council on the use of Arrowside Underground for a base for another club. We were running an hiring over the price and that was before I'd settled with uh, the one we'd set up at Wire. We set that up first. Then a gentleman phoned me from South Shore. He said they were forming a club and uh, they, they liked the premises at the Harrowside but Blackpool Borough Council wouldn't give it them until I'd passed it over and said I didn't want it. So he asked me would I sign it over to them so they could have it and I said yes by all means. They offered me uh, <laughs> free membership all sorts. I said I don't need anything because obviously I was a member of the Wirebolt Angling Club. I'd been a member of the Firebolt Angling Club. I didn't really want to be a member to another club even though they were offering it free. I said I'd sign it willingly and unfortunately I think there was a bit of upset at the committee at that South Shore Club and that gentleman disappeared and I can't remember his name. But he put a lot, a lot of work in, same as everybody else, you know, when you start in these clubs. Uh, it's, it's the wives who get the hammering. <laughs> we get the enjoyment, they get the upset. To give the interview some chronological structure, and to take a closer look at each of the clubs in turn, the starting point has to be the Fileboat Angling Club, based at Little Bispam. And for that part of the story, we're going to be guided through by FBAC veteran Dave Joyce. Uh, my name's David Joyce. I'm a member of the Fileboat Angling Club at Little Vispam. I've been a member since 1972. I started off with a very small boat, a little 13-footer, and I finished up with a 17-foot jet marine. So what then do you remember about the very earliest history of the club? It started late 69. Beautiful the boats across the beach by hand, and then we had very small boats. Then we contacted Blackpool Borough Council and we tried to obtain the underground car park, uh, which was derelict, so to small fee we took the boat house over. Once we got the boat house, then we contacted uh, people for tractors and we contacted uh, different agencies trying to get some money with no chance. So we started a membership, we got subs in and then we bought two tractors, little Fords. From there, we've worked on now with three tractors at the moment. John Deere's, um, the boats have got bigger. Before we get to the tractors, can we just backpedal to the underground unit, which, if my memory serves me well, was derelict 
and for a variety of reasons has given the club a wide range of problems over the years, not the least of which, certainly on one occasion I witnessed, was becoming totally flooded. Oh, we've had problems. I think it was late 77, 78. The boat house flooded with the gales. There used to be glass tops on the uh, roof and they collapsed and it flooded the boat house. One or two boats got damaged. The lads are always going down the committee, checking the uh, boat house for flooding and try to maintain it as best we can. Give us a flavour of what those boats would be like back then and how the membership grew from the club's inaugural meeting. They very small boats, they were all uh, marine ply or very small fiberglass boats. Once we got the tractors, then we improved to CJRs, bigger boats, bigger engines. We used to go further afield. We'd go across to uh, Vickerstown, Walney Island, into the Morecambe Bay. With the smaller boats, we couldn't do that. It just used to be off the Russell Promenade, North Pier, and that was it. Probably it was harder to be an early fileboat angling club member than, say, a member of the wireboat angling club, which came later or Blackpool Boat Angling Club, which is the baby of the group, because everything you did at the FBAC was so pioneering. Nobody had done this type of thing before on such a scale, which presumably meant a lot of suck it and see, with the other two clubs learning from your mistakes. Yeah, it was difficult. We bought the tractors and people were drowning them. And so we started a training system where any member that joins the Fowl Boat Club has tractor training to the best of our ability and to make sure that there's no accidents. Yet despite all that, tractors were still drowned. How many then do you think you've had go under? We've lost four over the years. But when we say lost, that isn't a literal interpretation of the word. Because if the tide pulls back, you can usually recover the thing and set about doing whatever is needed to get it operational again. Yeah. On average, uh, once they've been drowned, you're talking about a £1,000 to have them stripped down, new clutches, oil changes, which is a dear job. And tractors nowadays are very expensive to buy. Now, I could well be wrong on this one, but if my memory serves me well, hasn't work also been done on a concrete slip adjacent to the tractor store? Yeah, they altered the seawall and they altered the slipway and they made it very steep. There's two ways we can go down it, um, down the side or off the end, but at high water we cannot retrieve boats or launch properly. Which can be a major problem and needs to be factored in both when planning a trip and if the weather suddenly looks like deteriorating while you're out at sea. Correct. If it gets blowing up we can make our way up to the bullnose where we can get in there high water or launch at high water. Is that on any size or stage of tide? On most tides we can get in at bullnose, but uh, Big tides, we cannot, impossible to launch at the uh, slipway outside the clubhouse. And when you run off the end of the slip, what's the beach itself like physically in terms of getting boats across it? There's patches of very soft sand and very hard sand. That's the reason we lost the tractors. The tide is always changing the beach and they hit a soft patch and they went down. The time we got the other tractors up to recover, they were underwater. There are also potential problems when the boat has reached the water's edge, such as the end of the sewer pipe, particularly when the boy gets dislodged. Yeah, well, this is where we come down to uh, experience and training. Most boats now have GPSs which have the sewer pipe in and they have to go around it, or at high water you can shoot across. 
It's only the end of the sewer pipe, but it is uh, a danger. I expect that throughout this very steep learning curve, things were being constantly changed and updated, and in particular the rule book regarding tractor and personal safety. Can you then give us a flavour of how this has evolved? One of the biggest things was um, damage to tractors, where we had named tractor drivers, and the members used to contact the tractor drivers for launching and retrieving, and there'd probably be six on a Sunday, three would do the launching in the morning, and the other three would do the retrieving in the afternoon. Later on in the years, members wanted to go out when they wanted to, on the spur of the moment, and it wasn't possible to contact the tractor driving. So the members voted on everybody could drive the tractors, and since then, we've, like I say, we've lost three tractors. At first, for safety, when everybody was just learning with the boats, it was a ruling that um, there always had to be two boats launching, and they both came in at the same time, for safety. Now, with everybody having uh, radios in the boats and mobile phones, the committee thought it would be safe enough to tr give it a trial for single boat launch, and it worked all right, so it was kept on. And at the other end of the spectrum these days, Clubs are also looking for members to hold RYA Powerboat Level 2 qualifications, valid insurance and have the safety equipment C-checked annually by the RMLI. So how does the FBAC stand on that one? More or less the same. We have uh, RMLI C-checks every year for safety of the equipment on boat, flares, life jackets, compasses, uh, which we do every year in November before the Christmas match and then any new member that joins the club must comply with the sea check. All boats must be insured. And the power boat too, most of the members have got it. In Ireland now, uh, Southern Ireland, it is a requirement that you wear life jackets all the time. We haven't brought that in yet. Can you now compare and contrast the assets and facilities you have today to those of the very early years? And you can also include in that the promenade clubhouse and bar. The clubhouse was a block of eight chalets, little uh, huts. We contacted Blackpool Borough Council and we took them over at a small rent and we made the toilets and little bar. And We used to meet before the clubhouse in the caravan. We used to have a little caravan and we met in the caravan. But now with the clubhouse we can open any time. We have uh, matches where other clubs use our facilities. Beach matches from all about use the clubhouse. So it's a good thing. It's brought more people into the fishing club as we have now a shore section. We also have a pike section. So anybody that's interested in pike fishing, we have that every month and anybody's welcome to come down. Now you've mentioned the clubhouse and in a lot of people's eyes that will be seen as an asset. But equally, there has been criticism over the years of diverting monies away from the club's primary objective, which is launching and retrieving boats into something only small numbers of predominantly local anglers can use. What are your thoughts on that? The clubhouse, uh, it pays for itself. Um, there's nothing now to the membership that um, is used in the clubhouse. The clubhouse more or less now subsidises the subs to members. So it, people going on a Tuesday night... They're having a few pints, the club is making a profit and it's keeping the subs very low. We haven't increased the subs now for probably five years. 
When I first started fishing along the Fylde coast, it was right at the start of the famous Jumbo Cod era, and looking back, they were fantastic times. There would be days when between the three clubs, every available fishing space was taken up, but that isn't the case these days. Now you can park up pretty much anywhere you want, and in terms of lack of interest, all three clubs seem to have suffered equally. Granted, there is an economic squeeze on just at the moment, which is January 2012, but angling interest and membership numbers were in decline long before that. So what do you see as being the problem? Is it not enough fish, not enough money, a waning of interest, or maybe even a combination of all three? I think it's most things. The fishing isn't as good as it used to be. This year, our biggest cod was £5. You know, years ago, £22-£25. Plus, a lot of young children aren't interested in fishing. It's more computer games. I was doing a bit of beach fishing at Bispam over the winter, and I couldn't help but notice a big sign over the underground tractor store which reads something like, The File Boat Angling Club, the North West Premier Boat Fishing Club. So of the three, is yours really the best? And if so... Why? Well, they're the only club on the Fylde Coast with a, a clubhouse. And uh, the atmosphere in our club is uh, fantastic. What then do you think the future holds for the fishing and for the club? We've got one or two members joining, one or two in the shore section. Um, I can't see it folding. The website, if anybody's interested in joining the club or calling down, is www fbac.co.uk Back now to George Hemsworth to lay out the history behind the Wire Boat Angling Club. I can't remember the exact precise timing of it. We formed a club, like I say, uh, we didn't have an underground, uh, we didn't have tractors, we didn't have anything. The landlord at the Durban allowed us, once we obtained tractors, two tractors, to leave them at the Durban Hotel. And that's what we used to do. We had a garage at the Durban Hotel and we launched from the slip just opposite. We were then told that the sea wall was going to be built and that slope was going to be as it is now so that you couldn't use it. Uh, there was something in the Magna Carta a treaty that said that council had to provide uh, access to the beach for fishermen. This was looked into, uh, but the council agreed to build us another slip further down, opposite the Royal Hotel, which was done. Very successful. Uh, we uh, got premises. The underground we'd been negotiating for after a lot, a lot of trouble. The council at first refused to give it as it was in such poor condition. It went to committee. Committee uh, deferred it to the next meeting, all this was time going by, the members wanted to go fishing, they wanted to get the club started, but it takes a, a process of time to get these things through. And like I say, the underground then we got eventually. It was what they called a bathing station. There were cubicles where you're going back into the early 1900s when people you know, went in these places to get changed and also there were lifeguards always there, and there was uh, various things there uh, before my time. But when we got there, it was, well, a mess, to say the least. We had to put up pillars. Council kept giving us back word because uh, it was in such poor condition, they said it wasn't safe if any vehicles went over the top. We need to 
pillars put in and it was going to cost an absolute fortune. So the committee had been formed by then, uh, decided to go to council offering we would pay for it to their specifications if they'd allow us to. So they came back to us and uh, said thank you very much, we'll uh, take that up. So we built the pillars. A gentleman again from um, Leyland, who I used to work with at Leyland, Knox, Mr Knox, built the pillars. He didn't charge us anything this time, he gave to the club. Uh, he was a member of the club that time and without him would have been lost, so he needs a lot of thanks for that, if he's still around, <laughs> like a lot of us. So the club had a base for its tractors, but it was hardly ideal, particularly in bad weather on big tides as it was prone to flooding and having shingles stacked up in front of the doors. It wasn't ideal, but time goes on and you, you learn what to do. I mean, we bought a bucket and we bought a tractor, and then the gentleman will be buying the tractors off. That's another story. We went all over Lancashire looking at tractors until we found a gentleman, Frank Rowland. He provided us with tractors. We had to buy them. We wanted a bucket tractor. That cost another £500 for that. But we needed that because on big tides the shingle washed up and you had to dig the door out to get the tractors out. But we managed it and we got through. But once again, it was a lot of work by a few members. Like you, I was on the founding committee of the club along with Frank B, Bill Ritson, Keith Ingham. Yeah, I think Keith was. There was that other lad at Fleetwood, Fish Merchant, wasn't there? Uh, can't remember them all. It, yeah, a lot, a lot of time. I said it would take at least two years for us to get really secure in the underground with the tractors, with the members. But the members, when they forced us to form the club earlier than what we wanted to form it, because we've got such a lot to do. And once you form the club, they want to go fishing and they want to buy things. And It doesn't work like that. You have to take your time. Otherwise, you make a lot more mistakes than what you normally make. But at the end of the day, it worked very well, I think. It's got very successful. The problem now is, today, is finance. It's dwindling because people are short of money. Same as everything else. One of the major things that I see which greatly helped the Wireboat Angling Club was the fact that many of the people who took up committee posts were old hands from the Fireboat Angling Club, bringing with them a wealth of previous experience based on problems solved in the past. Well, when the Fyled was going, like I said before, there was 180 members. They didn't want any more members because it was getting too big. And uh, they shut it, so there was no access to any other club. Only the filed, and that was, you had to go on a waiting list, and it was a long, long waiting list. And that's when uh, four members of the filed, including myself, after I'd discussed this with committee, we then met and discussed forming another club, not a section of the file, because the committee at that time didn't want uh, another section of the file. So we went our way to form another club. And that was Frank B, myself, uh, Bill Ritson and Dave Waywell. Uh, Dave Waywell was secretary, I was a tractor officer, Bill was the chairman and Frank was the uh, treasurer. And uh, yeah, we went and we started forming, talking to people, the council, uh, looking for tractors, uh, meeting the members, taking the money off them, trying to persuade them to give us money before they'd actually got anything at all. But uh, 
We needed the money to buy the tractors, we'd done the figures, we knew we'd done it all before, we knew what it meant, we knew the work we would have to do, plus help from other members of the club as they joined, and it was a group thing to move forward to get another club in on the file. And it worked very well. And while it was a more polished mirror image of the Fileboat Angling Club, it also offered advantages that the FBAC didn't have, such as always having a bit of beach to hit in an emergency at high water, plus, of course, immediate proximity to the winter cod fishing marks. Yeah, and also the people involved. We'd been there, done it, so we knew where we were going, whereas the people who wanted to join hadn't belonged to another club, hadn't done it before, what was interesting with the main thing is to get the boat from A to B, from the road to the water's edge, with as little energy <laughs> as possible. So they wanted to be belong to the club, the safety precautions of the club, the get-together of the club, everything. And it went well, it's worked very well. So what kind of lessons learned at the Fileboat Angling Club regarding tractor safety do you think you brought with you? Because over similar time periods, the wire club hasn't drowned anything like the number of tractors that the Fileboat Angling Club has. I think it's inevitable that sooner or later you will drown at least one tractor. So how did you specifically apply lessons of the past to the list of new club rules? The four members you're talking about that formed uh, the wire, we'd all seen tractors go under, even when we were members of the Fileboat Angling Club. It's that section of beach, there are gullies there and they're bad. Now further down at the wire where the Wirebolt Angling Club is, yes, we try to train the lads. I don't know what they do at the file anymore, but at the Wirebolt Angling Club they are trained to make sure they, if they get bogged down they know exactly what to do. And uh, they're kept in good order. Once again it's work to be done by a few people. Like if a tractor gets bogged down you need another tractor to tow it off. Now, if another tractor isn't available, you've got major problems. And you need to tell people of your experiences that you've had and show them what's required so that if they get bogged down, they know what to do, which I would imagine the file do now, as we do in the wire. But it, it, it's difficult. You're not there all the time. You can't be there all the time. You can only show people and hope they learn by what you've shown them. And it doesn't happen. We've been very, very lucky in the wire that we haven't had a tractor under. We've had a few near-dos, but our beach isn't as bad as what it is further down at the Fileboat Angling Club. It's a little bit better, so there's not as many gullies with soft sand. And as long as you tell people where the gullies are and keep away from them, at both areas, you know, that's the main thing. Things obviously have moved on a lot since those early days. You're no longer operating out of the on-beach tractor store and you have more and better assets. But, and this applies to all the clubs in the current 2012 financial situation, membership is dwindling. Yeah, money's tight at the moment. People are losing their job and they've got other things to spend the money on. It's just one of those things. It'll come back again. It's only a matter of time as uh, the situation improves, you know. But I don't think any club is uh, desperate. They've all got money behind them. I would think, I don't know what the file is now, or sounds sure, but uh, I think the Wireboat Angling Club could uh, have got a bit tucked away sort of thing, like all the other clubs probably have. On top of which, 
The club's onshore facilities, such as the tractor store and workshop, are far better than the old bathing station. The big question, I suppose, is, with so much promenade redevelopment going on all along the Lancashire coast, how long can you keep them? So what, then, is the future for the Wireboat Angling Club? We've been very lucky with the council. They've looked after us real good. They had to uh, shut that underground that we had at the beginning because they've done all the sea wall and it was a weakness. If they'd have left it as it was, it would have been a weakness, so they had to do away with that. Then we had to suggest there was a, a toilet block there. We've had to rip that apart and uh, virtually rebuild it. A lot of members, again, have put a lot of work in. I think uh, you can name all the people as well as me. Spent many, many, many hours trying to get it to where it is now. In the future, what will happen, we don't know. There's talk now about car park being uh, alongside us. We're not included in that, and it's not gone to committee. It's only a proposal at the moment, so nobody knows exactly what's going to happen over the next few years. They've accommodated us so far, and they've welcomed us. It's a safety issue as well. If boats are going out there, you certainly don't want people losing their lives and it can so easily happen. So if you're in a club, you tend to look after everybody and that safety aspect's there and it helps. Picking up on the safety aspect, as with the other clubs, things like RYA Powerboat Level 2 qualifications, RNLIC check and individual boat insurance are now all obligatory which is a far cry from the small open boats, May West life jackets and damp out-of-date flows of the early handballing days. Yeah, there are always rules. The file that I've got there you can look at at your leisure. Uh, rule books from day one and rule book up to when we uh, drifted away from them to form the uh, Wyboat Angling Club. I think that was around the 77-78 time. The rules have always been there. We they altered them and... First of all, it was simple rule book when we first started. Now it's called a constitution. <laughs> and they're all written down and uh, they're voted on by members. And any changes to it, the constitution goes to an AGM. And uh, the members have to vote for and against. So, you know, it's in their interest to go to an AGM to vote for these things. Not moan and groan like some people do <laughs> if it doesn't suit them. It's what's good for the majority of people, and if they vote for it, then that's it. It's up to the members. And the future, in your opinion, is? All depends on the members. Like I say, there's a few members that do an awful lot of work. They need to be named, all of them, really. They're putting their time in, they're working, they don't get much recognition for it. They don't get much thanks for it. It's just, well, it's your job sort of thing. If you've got a good membership, you've got a good club. But everybody has to do their little bit. If they don't, and rely on one person or a few people, I mean, we've got a good mechanic down there. We've got a good club. There's a group who go down there regular, maintaining tractors, various things, cleaning up. And they're on call any time, and they'll do it any time. It's been really good. Really good. Finally... How do you see things in terms of potential future members, newcomers getting into sea angling? It can be a very expensive hobby, particularly in terms of initial outlay, not helped I suppose by the way fish stocks have declined since the boom days of the jumbo cod era. Well, going back many, many, many years, <laughs> the file boat angling club, I can remember when the biggest cod caught was £3. 
not one year, several years. The biggest cod caught now last year, if it's if I'm correct, was about I don't know, was it three, four pound? I think it's a cycle, and I think yeah, it'll come back. Maybe not as many, but hopefully, keeping fingers crossed, it does do. Yeah, they'll return. They'll get bigger, and uh, the membership. I can't see how it can lose uh, as long as there's a premises there, tractors there, and people want to go fishing, which they do. And I don't think it's going to change. I always think it's going to increase in time, but it's going to take time. While people are short of money, the luxuries get cut out, and unfortunately, some of them are, can't afford it anymore. You know, the boat where I paid hundred pound for my first boat, you can pay up to twenty thousand pound now. Well. <laughs> There's not many people got the £20,000 to spend. <laughs> so times have changed, yeah. Now it's the turn of the baby of the bunch. At a mere 30 years old, we have Blackpool Boat Angling Club based at Squires Gate, just off the Southern Promenade in front of Blackpool Airport. And to talk us through the history here, I'll hand things over to Grant Duckworth. My name's Grant Duckworth. I'm Secretary of Blackpool Boat Angling Club. I've served on the committee since... The mid-80s and uh, have been uh, secretary the last nine years. The club was founded originally as Squiresgate Boat Angling Club in 1982 when four members, who are all dead now, put money in a pot to buy two old David Brown tractors. They met at the Kite Club, Blackpool Airport, and the tractors were kept at a member's house until the council granted a lease on a disused garage under Harrowside Bridge for boat store and tractor garage. The tractors then had to be shuffled to Squiresgate, left on the beach together with the trailers and suffered a lot of vandalism. The last boat in had to take both tractors back to Harrowside and wash them off, meaning two drivers and one boat with the tractors. It was very difficult, especially in winter when it went dark early. Blackpool Council were all for us having the headquarters at Squiresgate, but Fileburg Council were obstructive to say the least. And we, in fact it was myself, ended up dealing with the Secretary of State Inspector who viewed the prospective site with me before ruling in our favour. From the foundations of the club to the building at Squires Gate was a big step and increased our membership from around about 24, 25 boats up to at one time nearly 100. Oh, that was too many and overloaded the facilities. Give us an overview of the facilities you currently have. We have a compound which will take about 15, 18 trailers, a brick-built garage which takes three tractors, there's a palisade fencing to enclose it, and it's right adjacent to the slipway at Squires Gate, which means that we can easily launch and retrieve the tractors on the sand there. We did have a big car park opposite, which is now the new Blackpool Tram Depot, um, so we've been trying through Fileborough Council to double the size of the compound so we can park both trailers and cars there, but to no avail there seem to view the sand dunes as uh, sacred and uh, don't want them touched, although it is ongoing, a bit of daylight, but not much at the moment. Being sighted where you are does offer certain advantages over the other two clubs in that you have permanent sand to come in on at any time you want, plus a nice shallow gradient slip. On the downside, however, because it seems that there always has to be one, this stretch of beach attracts big numbers of summer holiday makers, which can be a problem to work around, on top of which you have to sail an extra five or six miles to the winter cog grounds, though you do have summer marks to your south which boats from elsewhere might see as out of reach. Any observations there? The beach is very flat and is all sand, no pebbles on, on the beach whatsoever. 
and even on the 30-foot tides there is no problem coming up onto the sand uh, and retrieving your boats. The winter fishing is mostly done from uh, Ginn Square up to Russell, uh, which is probably five, six miles to nine miles uh, away from us, depending on where you go. But the summer fishing, we tend to go into the Ribble Estuary for place, dabs and quite a few bass. That's only three miles away. So all in all, it's not too far adrift from the cod fishing, but it's very adjacent for the summer fishing. And also we're straight out to the wrecks for those hardy souls that like to travel quite a distance. We do go off Ainsdale occasionally to the Zealander, which is probably about the same distance as going out to Russell. No doubt, as with the other clubs, you will have experienced a great deal of change in terms of quality and reliability with regard to the club's tractors, not to mention boats, trailers and outboards too. Talk us through that period of evolution from the old battered ex-farm tractors of the past to the very high quality fleet you have today. In the original boats, nearly everybody had a little CJR 14-footer and probably 25-40 to 40 horse engine. The tractors were capable of pulling those. They were usually two-wheel open tractors of the Ford Major David Brown design. But of course, with building the facilities down at Squiresgate, we had quite an influx of members which meant quite an influx of funds. We were able to then to upgrade tractors to three four-wheel drive Zeta enclosed cab tractors, which are all of modern design, which will take boats up to 18 and a half foot now, as the tendency has been to have boats which have grown and grown. And of course, as the boats grow, the weight grows and the size of the engine grows as well. So all in all, we needed a lot stronger tractors than two-wheel drive, which has been helped by the funding provided by the new building. Being the last of the three tractor launching clubs to arrive on the file course, you've been uniquely blessed in having lots of other people's mistakes, hopefully, to learn from, particularly in terms of tractor handling and rules to minimise damage or loss. So have you had any tractor incidents of note? We lost uh, a tractor a good number of years ago, a two-wheel drive, launching a 26-foot rib for Suzuki boats and engines. They were doing a demonstration for their annual brochure and uh, we were told it was an 18 foot rib and it turned out to be a 26 footer which took the tractor down so yes but uh, uh, that was unfortunate but they did pay for the repairs. Having over 100 members you have to have rules. The least the better but you have to like in all society work for the lowest members the ones that don't want to obey rules. So the tractors are sacrosanct without tractors, there's no club, so we do look after them and we do admonish members who abuse the tractors. In fact, we have dispensed with the membership on, on two or three in, in the last ten years because of tractor abuse. Not the first time, they get a warning, they probably get a second warning. If it continues, we don't want them in the club. Here's another question which I've also asked the other three clubs. With disposable incomes currently as tight as they are as the recession takes hold, how has it, and how is it, affecting membership and the club generally? The membership has dropped over the last few years. We did set the membership limit at 70 boats. We got down to, I think it was around about 40 boats, but it's now climbed up and it's nearly 50. Three boats coming in in the, the last three months. All of the members who had sold the boats and decided it was time to buy them again and come back to the club, which is quite heartening. So how then does membership work in respect of a boat that's co-owned? We have the skipper, who we call a full member, who pays £82 a year, which includes a donation to the Angling Trust, and a crewman who pays £38 a year, which includes the £2 again. A crew member cannot take the boat out by himself. 
We do need two drivers at all times to take boats out, but one of them does have to be a full member. What happens in uh, common practice is if there's two members on a boat, they tend to split the fees between them. Can crew members also become tractor drivers? The crew members can drive the tractors under supervision. If there's a full member there, they can drive the tractors. And again, as with the other two clubs, things like RYA Powerboat Level 2 certification, RNLIC check, boat insurance and tractor training are all compulsory. Every new member that comes in the club has to take a tractor test or tuition for tractors by two of our qualified members. We do see the driving licences at the same time. Each year on the membership form, members have to state that they do have a full driving licence. They also have to have boat insurance to the tune of three million public liability, which is required by the council these days for us to have access on the beach. As I say, full training is given on the tractors and we have sea check on the boats annually. We have a member who is actually at the RNLI sea check inspector, as you might say, and he checks all the boats annually. One other thing I would like to throw in here is that last year I contacted Wyre, Blackpool and Fylde councils, which collectively cover the whole geographical area we're talking about here, asking each what would be required from an individual boat owner to take a boat and vehicle onto the beach as a non-club member. And from the replies I received, I got the distinct impression that individuals are not going to be welcomed. In addition to all sorts of form filling and evidence provision, one even asked for a full written risk assessment. Presumably, the clubs cover all of this as part of the membership package. It does, yes. Um, the council, Fileborough Council to be fair, there was an accident with sand yachts on the beach and a woman was killed. And after that, um, they were ultra-cautious because it could have reflected on themselves. There is one other thing I would also like to bring up here, and I stress that this is no reflection on the club itself or how it's run. But back in the 1980s, two of the members were drowned and a third rescued in an incident which I've already covered separately by interviewing the sole survivor, Mick Riley. And I have to say that it could have been any one of us out there that day, because I was going to fish it myself, but unfortunately had to attend a meeting in the morning, after which the wind, which was not predicted when I checked the forecast, later reaching force 10, was howling when I left that meeting. Now under those particular circumstances, Fishing in the winter off Rossell for cod at high water, with no beach to come in for many miles in case of an emergency, Squire's Gate Slip is not ideally placed. Have you any comments or observations any of this? No, in, in fact the day this happened, I'd scheduled to go fishing and take a day off work, but I got the forecast and decided against it and we actually went out the night before when there was a complete flat in between, as the wind changed direction, it was a completely flat night, but uh, if they checked the forecast, it would have been all right. One of the problems was they were sat on the life jackets. Uh, so the lifeboat people told us they didn't have life, or two of them didn't have life jackets on. And uh, it seems like they waited to see how the wind developed and uh, left it too late. And the wind came up in 20 minutes from virtually nothing to full gale. I was actually driving down the prom and uh, the maroons went off and that's what alerted me. But uh, to, be, to be quite honest, they shouldn't have been out that day. But that's not the way Mick Riley sees it and I have to say I have some sympathy there as I could well have been out on that day too. Phil Denham from the RNLI who actually rescued Mick tells a similar story. Anyway, that's all in the past. What about the future of Blackpool Boat Angling Club? And what about the future of fish stocks and fishing within file coast waters? 
Fishing the last two, three years has been particularly poor. Summer fishing hasn't been bad, but of course, like uh, because we're on the West Coast, we're prone to the increase that winds that seem to have been prevalent for the last three years. Having said that, uh, this winter there seem to be quite a few cod about. Uh, dabs have made a big comeback and placed uh, are numerous. And um, one of our boats had 15 species off this coast this last summer. So the fishing looks good. One of the problems is that youngsters are not coming into the sport and because of the cost of running a boat it tends to be middle-aged and older members these days and that is prevalent in all three clubs, I presume in a lot of the clubs. Youngsters want to be on computers and uh, gaming, they don't seem to be interested in fishing these days. So you see signs that small boat fishing is sliding into decline fueled by rising costs and diminishing returns. I think it's an accumulation of the both things, although we, we have levelled from 40 boats um, about four years ago. We're up to 49 boats now, so people are coming back to it. But the boat builders tell me that their order books are not, nothing like what they used to be. Back when the three clubs first started, on a fine weather big tide weekend in, say, January, you would literally struggle to find a spot to anchor in because there were so many boats out there fishing. But now on the same sort of weekend, you'd struggle even to see a dozen other boats. The piers used to be full from one end to the other and all along the, the sea wall. And they used to get about 400 anglers to the uh, Blackpool Open competitions uh, for, for beach anglers. And uh, that's diminished, although people seem to be coming back to it. So you're optimistic still? Oh yeah, yeah. It needs more youngsters to come into the sport though. It certainly does. So there you have it. A history of small boat fishing along the file course from three independent relevant sources. Perhaps the most notable observation is that in terms of both fish and angler interest, things are no longer what they used to be. Who knows, maybe the wheel will ultimately turn full circle, but personally, I don't think so. For reasons of initial cost and the general lack of interest from younger people who should be coming into boat fishing, those days look to have well and truly gone, which is sad. More fish and better weather, certainly over the winter months, would make a difference, but just how much is difficult to say. I'm just happy to have been a part of it all right from the very start, particularly through the boom years, and now, unfortunately, seemingly witnessing it all slipping into decline. Music